0: Welcome back to Radio DeFi. Rex here again. We spent the last couple episodes looking mostly behind us. In episode one, we covered the past few crazy years in crypto and how they led us to today. Then we zoomed way out in episode two, tracing the origins of debt, our modern financial systems, and even money itself. This episode is a little different, or maybe a lot different. We think it's time we got to the point where we are now, what's going to happen in the future, and how do we get there? Those are some big questions, but we've got some time, so let's begin by stepping into the future machine. First up, the present. This is Radio DeFi, a show about the new frontier called decentralized finance, and how you can understand it. I'm your host, Rex. The goal of Radio DeFi is to inform the public about decentralized finance in a way that's entertaining and accessible. We see the future in these projects and want you to be both excited and well informed. If you hear us talk about a topic or an organization that strikes your interest, that's great. Just make sure you take your time and do additional research before investing. Also, some of these projects are high risk, so never invest what you can't afford to lose. Here we are. So this is 2023, huh? It looks pretty familiar. Now, let's see what we can learn. First, we're going to need some perspective and maybe even a roadmap. Remember Publius? Ultimately, it takes a village. As a reminder, Publius is actually three people. The name refers to the three co-founders and original creators of Beanstalk. These days, Publius takes a more behind-the-scenes role often saying they want to avoid being made a figurehead or the voice of Beanstalk. But that doesn't mean they're out of the game. They're still very much involved in the development of Beanstalk. And just recently, Publius released a pair of important blog posts which have been making some waves in the DeFi community. One of these blogs, titled Worthless Tech, makes some compelling points about the state of today's DeFi universe.
1: In many ways, the article was an indictment of all these projects that issue tokens, that don't need to issue tokens. And, you know, it's sort of one of those things where I've thought about this concept for a while and I think uh, the article did a good job of putting, you know,
0: words to it. That's Guy, head of operations at Beanstalk Farms.
1: It's gonna be really interesting to see some of the companies that develop the Beanstalk tech stack form and obviously the most prescient example at the moment is Root, the protocol, which is developed by Root Labs. And think that the section about how a lot of tokens at the moment are almost purely issued in order to fund development. And that's why you see this, all these charts uh, look the same uh, with this like dumping on retail phenomenon leading to these down only charts. and. These are all tokens that have no intrinsic value or are not backed by collateral. And so that's sort of the, the direction you expect to see in a price chart. And I think that it's a really interesting philosophical shift to say and assert that just by building this software as a company, we will be the people who can generate the most alpha in using it. And so in the context of Root, for example, the whole concept or like why someone might fund root is because they believe that the root labs team will be the best market maker on root markets. And perhaps to some extent, you know, it's sort of interesting to think about that in the context of, well, all on-chain data is public and perhaps, you know, any strategies they employ can be viewed by others. But to a large extent, that's that's lessened in the future when we get to ZK rollups and such, and more private transactions. So yeah, I think it's all very fascinating to think about. And, uh, you know, that, that's why I'm here. Uh, it's all really interesting stuff.
0: Publius says that despite the huge potential of DeFi, so far it's failed to generate any real economic activity. In addition, the mechanisms that are in place still aren't very competitive compared to their centralized counterparts. As to why this is happening, there's one line of explanation that stands out. The disunity of current DeFi development is primarily a result of lack of consensus around how to fund open source code development, particularly the appropriate roles for tokens in the funding of development and maintenance of protocols that create composable, censorship resistant networks. Remember what the D in DeFi stands for? Decentralization is one of the biggest strengths of this financial movement, but it's also one of the biggest weaknesses. As Publius points out, a truly trustless system, one where users don't have to assume that different parties will act as they say they will, where everything is automated, immutable, and verifiable, is only as strong as its weakest link. Say I want to trade some US dollars for euros and then invest them in a hedge fund, but if euro prices happen to rise past a certain point, I'd rather withdraw and convert them back to dollars for quick arbitrage profit. That's potentially three different entities I'm dealing with to realize this one simple trading strategy. If just one of those parties is centralized, or if there's any sort of black box tech at play, the whole strategy hinges on the trust that everything will behave exactly as promised and expected. For a little more context around the Publius posts, we also spoke with Asfi, entrepreneur, scholar, professor, and exactly the kind of guy you'd want to talk esoteric financial models with long into the night.
2: DeFi needs to become more competitive uh, when it comes to uh, funding costs, when it comes to accessibility, compared to the traditional banking system. And the direction that I see the project going in is saying that we're literally going to go and build out this economy around uh, some of these ideas. Uh, that's very grand, but it's also scary. Um, scary because, you know, you wonder, like, there's all these other people making this effort. I mean, how does your effort integrate with their efforts? The posts imply that it doesn't really integrate. You know, there's some fundamental things you're just going to try to build from scratch. In the words of Publius,
0: the goal of DeFi is to allow anyone, anywhere, anytime to conduct arbitrary financial activity without the need for centralized intermediary. So if this is going to happen, uh, a well-designed decentralized, and trustless infrastructure needs to be in place. An infrastructure that is unchangeable and behaves exactly as it's supposed to every single time, like the laws of physics or one of those old Nokia phones. But at the moment, it doesn't seem to be the direction in which we're headed. Some of the biggest players in the DeFi space, big, respected names like Uniswap, Curve, or OpenSea, all seem to be moving in a less open direction publishing code under restrictive licenses, hiding transaction information, and generally making it much harder to connect their services with others in a trustless way. Because the success of DeFi relies on every link in the chain being open and trustless, this closing off is not a sign of the healthy future we all hoped for. So why is this happening? Put simply, market incentives, at least in the short term, just have it aligned to facilitate open development. After all, successful protocols want to hold on to their market share, not make it easier for competitors to sweep in. This kind of zero-sum thinking is understandable and even expected in the traditional centralized world, but without a course correction, it could mean the end of the DeFi ideology that attracted everyone here in the first place. Think of it this way. For a terrestrial economy to function, there are certain things that everyone needs. Roads, bridges, plumbing, electrical grids. You can't expect every mom and pop business to create everything themselves, so a lot of this infrastructure is publicly funded and available to everyone who wants to build on it. This lowers barrier to entry and is good for the economy as a whole. In DeFi, at least right now, this isn't how it usually works. There are private roads all over the place, but each one has a separate toll and some just never connect or lead anywhere. Electrical grids are all different voltages, so you need to use different adapters, which are also costly and sometimes prone to failure. And all this compounds to make DeFi a much less friendly environment to build on. What the DeFi world really needs is some solid public utilities. Uh, but then where I kind of find some optimism
2: then is when I talk to guys like Brian, who can demonstrate where or in what ways progress is being made. For example, with things like pipeline and, you know, with things like um, improving code quality, because again, I think it's really important. I think this part is important to emphasize, right? Like Ethereum is this quasi Turing complete system because what, and why, why quasi? Because it's always limited by the amount of gas that is available to conduct a transaction. And so, you know, while Ethereum will scale and there might be other scaling solutions and other L1s and whatnot, right? There's a lot of value in writing elegant code that is as efficient as possible when it comes to how it utilizes that so-called gas. And so that is something that, you know, I see a lot of at Bean, and that gives me a lot of, I would say, a reason to be optimistic that, okay, yeah, I mean, you know, there's, I mean, you know, these these bunch of guys, they probably might just be able to create this whole economy around this crazy little project uh, that they've created. So that's kind of where
0: my take is at the moment. This pipeline that Asfi is referring to is one part of those public utilities developed by contributors to beanstalk farms and approved for use by the Dow through a BIP or beanstalk improvement proposal. Essentially, it allows multiple Ethereum-based actions to be wrapped into one single transaction, which means more efficiency and a better user experience. But pipeline is just step one. The second of the two Publius articles, simply titled Beanstalk Development Update, describes a full complement of utilities, comprising a zero-fee decentralized exchange or DEX, a loan generation factory, and a liquidation engine to integrate these two. Now, as a reminder, all this code is completely open and available to anyone who wants to read it. Which means that if you want to build your business off of these public utilities, you can go right ahead. You can even fork Beanstalk itself if you want. The bet is that by allowing open access to these works, Beanstalk will become the easiest and most attractive environment to build on. Together with its credit history and first mover advantage, what's good for the DeFi world is good for Beanstalk too. But it goes beyond that not only are these public works helpful to have, there's a good argument to be made that they, and other open source tools like them, are necessary for DeFi to go anywhere in the first place. After all, it's decentralized finance and not cloistered pocket universe finance. There are still obstacles to overcome, of course. For one, being open source means that every line of code needs to be meticulously examined for bugs or possible exploitations. In addition to its own internal review process, Beanstalk Farm works with two entirely separate auditing firms to get as many eyes on that code as possible. All that due diligence takes a lot of time and resources, so can be a slow-moving process. But maybe less obviously, there's another obstacle too, and it's built into and inseparable from the very nature of DeFi. Who's even steering this thing, usually in DeFi? Any given project or protocol is governed by something called a DAO, which stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. These DAOs can take many different forms, but it usually boils down to a system where ownership of the project is divided between its participants, who are then able to vote on different aspects or decisions of the project. In many ways, this is similar to how holders of common stock in a public company can vote on major decisions, but in practice, it can be a whole different ballgame. One key difference is the sheer level of contact DeFi investors usually have with the project's core team. Most projects are run on Discord servers, where anyone who wants to can ask questions, check on progress, or voice opinions. And a big part of any DeFi protocol is engaging with these concerned parties. Decision making power ultimately comes from the DAO, so, developers, project managers, marketers, anyone compensated for their work, are subject at one level or another to approval by the DAO. And In a high-risk, high-reward setting like DeFi, DAOs can be heavily incentivized to run the leanest, meanest ship possible. Asfi, our scholastic friend from earlier, knows more than a thing or two about DAOs, heading up the Olympus Scholar Program at the famed Olympus DAO.
2: I'll, again, like kind of start with a bit of a theoretical underpinning. I mean, I, I don't know, I guess I'm a hopeless nerd, so I always need to do that. So Ronald Coase, uh, Nobel Laureate, talked about uh, theory of the firm. Uh, he talked about, you know, why do firms exist? And he says, firms exist because they minimize transaction costs in organizing a certain activity. I think we talked about this last time. Uh, we talked about his disciple to Oliver Williamson, both who won the Nobel Prize, right, for basically this research around like, you know, around organizations and the role of authority inside a firm. And so when I look at DAOs, I see these organizations that are striving to get better at making more relationships contractual and fewer relationships authority driven. Now, what happens of course with DAOs is that when they get going and when they reach a certain size, the users demand authority to take over because they need someone to assume that accountability you saw that with the hack at bean you saw that when the first call was being made some people were like do you or do you not take responsibility because you're the leader and they were like we're not the leaders we are basically just uh, you know
0: three guys that get robbed right along with the rest of you
2: yeah. yeah, yeah, um I think I think that's important to uh to highlight and I think Olympus also kind of went through this right like Olympus um so what we see at Olympus is Zeus's aspiration was to have you know full on DAO like you know like radical decentralization from day one but then we see this organization emerging and at some point we see this council emerging which still exists which is essentially acting like a management team or a board of directors. And some of that centralization was kind of required uh, to do some cost cutting. That was because, I mean, frankly, Olympus was a bit bloated. You know, uh, they were spending close to a million a month in in December of 2021. And then, you know, by April, they were down to like 300k. And so my current take on DAOs, this oscillation between centralization and decentralization is very similar to the oscillation between scarcity and elasticity that I see in money systems. Uh, and so that's kind of where I'm finding myself with like DAOs and centralization that like this oscillation is going to continue. And and to a great extent, this is going to be tied to the availability of money. If a money is plentiful and loose, there's going to be a tendency to, you know, uh, tolerate more slack in the system and say like, you know, let's try to be Star Trek. Let's try to achieve completely centralization. And when you find yourself facing a lot more scarcity and facing a lot tighter monetary conditions, there's going to be a move towards centralization. Now, now how do I compare Olympus to Bean? Olympus started out with a multi-sig, still has a multi-sig. Bean started out with full on-chain governance, has on-chain governance, but also has a backup multi-sig. So, you know, from a governance perspective, I feel like the way BIPs are conducted at Bean, it's putting more power into the hands of the voters. Um, at Olympus, it's still, I would say, like a, a smaller group, you know, that is. And, and, I th- and I think both have pros and cons, uh, you know, so I don't want to say one is better or the other. I mean, personally, I'm of the view that, you know, when you're still doing. And this is kind of the hard part, right? I feel like when you're doing rapid iterations, you need tighter control. But then, you know, when you've got a system that's working, then you need to loosen control. But then it's like, well, wh- how do you make that decision? And that's an impossible uh, impossible discussion to have one area where i think bean shines uh, better compared to any other project uh, that i've interacted with is how it responds how people in it respond to criticism i feel like bean has become a safe space is a relatively safe space for critical voices to raise their voices and is a lesser sense that there's going to be a mob that will attack you and that's something I'm I think has a lot to do with Publius I think those guys have shown some some solid leadership in terms of how they interact like leadership is not just being a leader it's just like how you behave right and like other people model their behavior around that so that's kind of where I mean for me like that's that's where I feel like being is a standout org that like it doesn't uh, it doesn't attack its critics. It invites critics, and uh, Bean has—it's had its share of critics who've said this is a fundamentally flawed system, and and uh, that, that this is never going to work. But barring a little bit of shitposting posting in Discord, I haven't seen like all-out attacks, and and that's something I I, I appreciate. Uh, that's something you know I'm I'm very appreciative of uh, as far as Bean is concerned.
0: So you talked a minute ago about centralization versus decentralization and like the cycles and, and you actually gently hit on, and I, I'd want to hear more thoughts for me when it comes to DAOs having a history in traditional business, traditional finance, the biggest struggle that I see is speed of decision making. And it seems like, you know, where DAOs really shine is when you're making big, slow, fundamental decisions, but when you're talking about quicker, sometimes equally important decisions that are more tactical or more strategic, centralization offers speed or, or maybe better reactivity or something along those lines. And I, I feel like that is something that, that DAOs struggle with when they need to make decisions quickly. It can be very difficult to get those feedback loops moving.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the work of Oliver Williamson is very relevant for that discussion, right? Because I mean, his, his whole point was like, like, what's the role of authority inside a firm? And that's basically a manager's role because when markets cannot coordinate a certain activity, then you need authority to step in. And that's what a manager does. And so I think this seesaw is going to continue. I mean, you know, just like monetary history is this compromise dialogue between these two opposing schools of thoughts one advocating for scarcity and one advocating for elasticity like the guys who say who believe in the commodity theory or who are bitcoin maximists they believe in scarcity they're just like well this is a fixed amount of money it never should change this is it right you know on the other end you've got people who say like well no like money needs to be elastic this compromise dialogue is very similar to the centralization decentralization dialogue and 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 the reality is that like you know it's always going to be circumstantial and, and 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 interestingly, I mean, you know, what comes out is that those circumstances, to a great extent, are driven by um, credit conditions. When when money is plentiful, it's easier to you know um, to chase your ideals.
0: And of course, in the world of finance these days, money is not exactly plentiful. If you frequent crypto Twitter at all, it's hard not to notice the change in discourse over the past few months. These days, our news feeds can seem like one long list of why things are bad, how they got so bad, or all manner of ways they could go bad soon. Sure, there's still the occasional shill, plenty of shitposting, some medium interest project updates, but overall, doom and gloom levels are definitely high. This all came to a bit of a head recently at Beanstalk when, for the first time in a long while, BIPs necessary to fund Beanstalk farms and engage with SERAF, a security protocol, failed to reach quorum and were therefore not passed by the DAO.
1: Well, in some ways it's difficult to ascribe what like, the exact rationales or, or reasoning, uh, or cause rather, of the BIPs not passing particularly in a setting where potentially there are people either voting or not voting that haven't participated in some of the discussion in the Discord. But maybe just to zoom out a little bit, I think it would be a failure mode to not take each of these different opportunities, you know, this opportunity being, oh, interesting, like the BIP didn't pass, like what is there to be done about it? I think it's important to treat that as a a problem that needs to be solved and diagnosed. And I don't think it's necessarily a, a bad thing that, you know, the budget didn't pass or the Seraph didn't pass. And and think that in some ways, you know, given the very minimal discussion in both of those discussion channels, I think it would have been been strange and to some extent if they had passed. So that's sort of the problem as I see it. And then maybe to talk about potential solutions. And this sort of comes back to what I was talking about earlier with regards to the the quality of discussion. I think in some ways there has been a lot of discussion about the budget BIP and perhaps that provides some meaningful feedback into how we should structure those moving forward. So for example, there was a lot of input with regards to, oh, maybe we should be proposing six month budgets so that there isn't this huge point of friction uh, that's introduced every quarter in order to fund development of Beanstalk but with regards to the seraph bip there was basically no input <laughs> to some extent and and think that so in those cases it's really hard to diagnose you know why exactly a, a bip didn't pass if i had to speculate you know probably some combination of being over the holidays you know a lot of uh, just bear market down energy in the community to some extent and you know to that end i think it's just important to remind everyone that uh this is going to take a concerted effort on behalf of, of all of us to contribute to discussion and debate these various proposals because um, for better or worse, Beanstalk isn't done at the moment.
0: For some, this can feel a little depressing. For others, though, it isn't particularly worrying for two big reasons. Reason number one, this ain't our first bear riding rodeo, Veterans in this space have seen DeFi weather plenty of storms before, and we've come to expect the rising tide of anxiety that arrives with them. The second, and maybe less obvious reason, is that there are mainly two kinds of people in the crypto world, builders and investors. There are a lot of reasons an investor might choose to put money into DeFi, but many of them are driven primarily by the hope of making profit. And of course, there is nothing wrong with that. These investors are the fuel that helps DeFi move forward, and it's perfectly reasonable they should expect returns. But this means that every bear cycle, when money dries up and innovation slows, there are a lot of folks hanging around with nothing much to do except sit in their hands and wait. Crypto moves fast, and a six-month downturn can feel excruciatingly long, especially when you're used to checking your balances and maybe doing a little arbitrage several times per day. So what's there left to do, really, but ruminate over mistakes of the past and let the builders know we're not happy? This thing of yours is supposed to make us money, and right now it's not. What gives? Something's got to be broken. Now, that's an almost Wizard of Oz-level straw man, and obviously there are many cases where criticism is justified. But the pressure return immediate profit can also be an obstacle to the other side of the DeFi coin, the builder's. Of course, investor pressure is nothing new in the traditional world, but the sheer amount of discourse means that it does tend to carry different weight in DeFi. Also, remember that a lot of this is uncharted territory. Even in traditional business, organizations need to be able to respond to shifting goals and changing landscapes. So at least for now, the way that DAOs operate can't be set in stone.
1: Uh, With regards to beanstalk farms, it's sort of been an interesting trajectory where pre-exploit, every use of the beanstalk farm's budget would be proposed to the DAO, and the DAO would be given the opportunity to to veto, and every proposal was optimistically approved. And so I think that was a, a really good experiment, because at the time, of course, Publius was undoxed. There was sort of an imperative on behalf of the DAO and beanstalk farms to attract contributors uh, to some extent. No one had heard of beanstalk, you know, as an underdog in many ways. And so I think that worked well at the time. And over the summer, it was interesting because we sort of had to lean on this Beanstalk Farms proposal structure in order to get input from the Dow on the structure of the barn raise, you know, the timing of the replant, things like that. And the lack of clarity around, is it majority vote that determines the outcome of this proposal? And there are a lot of open questions. So maybe, maybe to, to get into the weeds specifically, these Beanstalk Farms proposals that were uses of the budget their quorum was actually calculated as a function of how many beans were proposed to be spent. However, whenever deciding on structures of the barn raise and such, uh, it sort of didn't really apply. And so it was a little bit unclear. And, and that lack of clarity was the, the impetus for sort of rethinking from scratch a lot of these governance proposal structures, which led to the creation of the Beanstalk Farms Committee and the way that they managed the budget, uh, et cetera, et cetera.
0: No matter how a DAO works in practice, there'll always be downsides along with upsides, as in any system of governance. But if you've ever been part of a complex, large-scale project, you know how tricky it can be to make progress if even a tiny piece needs to be explained and justified. So how do you make sure that DAO members even understand the nature of what they're voting on?
1: It's a great question and I think uh, an unsolved problem to some extent, you know, from the perspective of technical governance proposals that happen to be proposed by Beanstalk Farms. I think that to a large extent, we can't know what the community doesn't know until people ask questions, whether that's in class or at the DAO meetings or in Discord. And I think that that sort of speaks to the importance of discussion and discourse in the community. So think that we, Beanstalk Farms, are always gonna do everything we can to you know, answer questions that the community has uh, and explain technical concepts. But uh, yeah, I think it's a little bit of a two-way street uh, in that regard.
0: Imagine for a moment if a company like Apple operated this way. The new iPhone 15 is coming out and engineers are hard at work upgrading the operating system, improving processing, and battery efficiency, and you know, whatever else those guys do. Suddenly a new message comes in, why are we focused on processing speed? All anyone cares about these days is camera quality. We should focus on that and outsource everything else. From one side, this can seem like a perfectly reasonable thing to say. Camera quality is clearly an important feature of the Apple brand, and right or wrong, the message clearly has Apple's best interests in mind. After all, if Apple does well, investors do well. But flip to the other side of the coin for a second, and think about how Apple should actually respond. They could just ignore it, but how many other investors feel this way? There are thousands of them, and the majority aren't vocal or even paying much attention. Do they all understand the message and its implications? And besides that, maybe higher quality cameras won't even work properly without better processing. Do the investors know that? Maybe one of them has a workaround, but only focusing on cameras still represents a huge shift in Apple's direction. The problem is that communication between builders and investors will never be perfect, especially as projects progress and goalposts move. Now, a company as big as Apple could conceivably create a department devoted entirely to investor relations and spend the time and money to make sure lines of communication between investors and engineers remain open and robust. But for a smaller company with startup vibes, that's a lot of time and resources taken away from actually building. And that's just one single message. Meanwhile, hundreds of others are pouring in. The product hasn't shipped yet, so there's no real income. Plus there's an investor-wide vote approaching, which, depending on how it goes, could defund the project completely and leave the entire team jobless with zero severance pay. All that is to say, welcome to the wild, sometimes wonderful, and often frustrating world of DAOs.
1: Well, uh, in some way, I feel like the inherent challenges of a DAO are obvious and explicit, in that the challenges are, it's difficult to change what is being governed quickly. But as various community members have talked about, as Publius has talked about, that's uh, in many ways a feature, not a bug. And And the whole point of Beanstalk is to be a foundational base layer of money, and that money can't change very much. Uh, particularly when it's the ubiquitous stablecoin of of DeFi and larger commerce, so that's perhaps the main thing I would highlight. Otherwise, you know, in the context of changing more slowly, would also just highlight what we talked about earlier, which is the uh, discussion. Which is, uh, <laughs> I know, it can sort of seem like a trope to talk about how it's oh, it's like the community discussion, the community discussion is like so important. But I'll give a I'll give an interesting example. So. In September or August or so, uh, there was a whale that dumped about 1.5 million beans or so. And everyone in the Discord was talking about, are you ready to convert, Anon? You know, did you get your convert in at 92 cents? And, you know, within 20 minutes, the price was back up to peg. And over the following three months, everyone in the Discord was talking about how Oh, actually, like now that we think about this a little bit more, not sure the value prop of converting my unripe LP to unripe beans below peg is actually that sound at the moment, you know, particularly if I think beanstalk is not going to be growing in the next couple months. And lo and behold, a few months later, beans trade sideways for weeks at a time at 94 cents. And I think that sort of speaks to how important discussion is, not just of optimal trading strategies about how to play beanstalk, but I think it also ties back to governance proposals, as we discussed, and which ones are good, which ones are
0: bad, which parts of them are good or bad, etc. So one point that I would want to emphasize again, thats a little bit off script, but it's something that I would really want to drive home is that the goal for all of these processes and systems is to do the best job. That beanstalk farms can of being decentralized, of avoiding single points of failure, or situations where down members don't have the ability to influence major decisions. Like that's that's a point I would want to emphasize, from your standpoint. You know, not to put words in your mouth, but it's something that goes through my mind that I would want listeners to hear. Like the reason these processes take long. And the reason these BIPs haven't always passed smoothly is because Beansoft Farms is so dedicated to being a decentralized entity. And as all this conversation has happened, it makes me think of, I mean, FTX is just such a good example of billions of dollars worth of decisions happening through a very small group of people, you know, maybe not one person specifically, but mostly one person and and otherwise a very small group of people with disastrous effects. And the fact that Beanstalk and Beanstalk Farms is specifically trying to avoid that, I think is something worth highlighting.
1: Totally. I mean, I think it's important to, you know, consider the different centralization slash decentralization vectors with regards to Beanstalk Farms. Obviously, key difference between an example like FTX and Beanstalk Farms is that Beanstalk Farms in no way custodies any Beanstalk users' assets. Uh, It's simply the budget that is used to fund development. And yeah, you know, there's a lot of interesting discussion and discord around, oh, perhaps every individual contribution should be itemized and either approved or unapproved. And compared to that structure, I think the Beanstalk Farm structure at the moment is closer in the direction of centralization. You know, it's like a, a, a group or team that uh, operates across the stack, and yeah, it's hard to hard to say what's what's most optimal. But feel like the current implementation, given the stage that Beanstalk is at, is the most productive.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Is that like really, you know, if this is a spectrum with absolute centralization on one side and true decentralization on the other side, no extreme is is optimal this current setup is beanstalk farms attempt to try to find the right balance between decentralization and practicality
1: exactly and you know another point in favor of decentralization is that there are very clear processes to become a contributor or a member of the beanstalk farms committee and all of us either on the beanstalk farms committee or contributing to beanstalk now other than Publius, all just found Beanstalk like anyone else listening to this episode, you know, through the internet or through a friend.
0: So despite all of these challenges, the DAO is absolutely essential to DeFi. It all comes back to that D again. D is tough. Democracy is tough. Decentralized decision-making is tough. But it's what this space, this idea this possible future is all about. And if it can succeed, who knows what else is possible? Now, we make no secret of the fact that we at Radio DeFi are big beanstalk fans. In the spirit of DeFi, which at its ideological best can be radically transparent, we think it's important that we're upfront about that fact. But the great thing about radical transparency is that it can help you grow as well. Criticism is a healthy thing, both for Beanstalk and for this podcast. So if you have thoughts or disagreements, maybe some ideas for what we should look at next, or really anything else you'd like to share, we welcome your comments, honestly. You can find us on social media or send us an email at audiofarmsproduction at gmail.com. That's Farms with an S, production at gmail.com. We read every email you send, and that's a promise. And don't forget to rate and review. Radio DeFi wants to reach as many people from as many walks of life as possible, and a five-star rating is the best way to help us do that. Thanks. Radio DeFi is an Audio Farms production, funded with grant money provided by Beanstalk Farms.